This is Comic Shenanigans episode 214, flashback to DC's Batman Hush. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 214. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is our Comic Talk Spotlight episode on DC's Batman Hush. Um, so this uh, this episode we're going to be looking at, uh, what is it, 2004's Batman Hush storyline, uh, which was originally uh, published uh, in, what, Batman 608, I believe? Uh, 608 to 619. Uh, this is from, actually it might be earlier than that, for some reason I thought it was 2004, but I actually think it's uh, from an earlier period than that, uh, so it's interesting, it just doesn't feel like it's been that long since Batman Hush actually happened, but apparently it is, um, and it's one of those kind of seminal uh, evergreen storylines, I feel like, um, you know, Batman Year One, obviously, and Batman Killing Joke are probably like the ones you, you know you can always kind of pick up and read. Um, Batman Hush works very much on as a, as a good standalone, um, just because it, it just because of the way it's written by um, uh, what's his name Jeff Loeb, it, it definitely feels like it could kind of be written on read on its own. Uh, it doesn't really, I mean, it features a lot of characters that were around in this period, yeah, December 2002 to September 2003, it features a lot of characters that were around during this period, um, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really make you need to know the continuity as much as what's going on at the time, uh, which kind of makes it succeed as something that you can kind of put on a shelf and give to someone. Um, is it the best story? No, it's not, um, but it's definitely an important one. Uh, to go back, I mean, 2000, when this came out in 2002, uh, I remember reading about this in Wizard. I mean, that already tells you how old this is, because um, Wizard was still a thing. Um, and I remember them they're talking about it, and I guess the idea was that Jim Lee, at the time, hadn't really done anything for a while. Like, he was more with Wildstorm, and it, I don't think he'd really done a lot of ongoing work in a while, and he was going to kind of return in this kind of event. And then they wanted to, instead of make it its own kind of miniseries event, they wanted to take, you know, have it take place in the monthly Batman book, um, which is kind of, if you look at it, like, maybe this wouldn't necessarily happen now. Like, this was kind of a, a big thing to have happen. You know, Jeff Loeb and Jeff, Jim Lee coming on Batman, and uh, he hadn't really done major DC stuff before, and this was kind of a big step, and I feel like if it was done now, it would probably be in its own kind of special, uh, either it would be like a Superman Unchained kind of scenario, where it's like an own book just for that particular storyline. Uh, but I like that they push for it to be as part of the ongoing Batman book. I mean, back when Batman Year One happened, that's exactly what happened to it. It was part of the regular ongoing series of Batman uh, again, if you were to do that uh, year one now, it would probably get its own miniseries. But back in the day, it was all about kind of keeping it in the main book and keeping the main book relevant as well. So uh, Jim Lee at the time had a, a bad reputation for being late, um, for not being able to necessarily keep deadlines. And I mean, for the most part, I think he's more or less quashed that these days. I mean, he's been much more... Um, Maybe he just gets more lead time. He's kind of like John Reader Jr. in that way. But whereas John Reader Jr., if he's rushed, you'll kind of notice that he's rushed. I feel like with Jim Lee, you'll just get a delayed book um, instead. And he's one of the few artists who are still being published that I feel publishers would give them that kind of clearance to be like, yeah, we'll wait. We're not going to do a fill-in because we need your name is helping to sell this book. Um, so Batman Hush, is it a good read for kind of um, someone who's never really read Batman before? Yes and no. Um, it's 
kind of new reader friendly in that it very much explains who all the different characters are. It's kind of a who's who of Batman's biggest rogues gallery. You have a, t- a team up with Superman thrown in as well, well, a battle against Superman that becomes a team up. Um, there's a lot of kind of flashback stuff, but it's all kind of explained. So I feel like if you don't know a lot about Batman's universe, especially at this particular time is his universe, I think that they give you enough to kind of go on. Um, as a, like a longer Bat fan, maybe there's a little bit, it's kind of empty calories, this story. I mean, is there a reason for this entire story to go through, what, 12 issues? Maybe not. Um, but you get a lot of, you know, pretty fight sequences. Uh, I would say some of Jim Lee's best artwork, to be honest. I mean, looking back on it, I mean, some of his work on Batman is just so detailed. Um, and he definitely inspired other people to kind of uh, try and ape his style on Batman as well. Uh, you can still buy like a lot of merchandise based on um, Jim Lee's take on Batman. Uh, this is, it's nice to kind of read this as well because this is the pre-New 52 Batman and just something about his costume I just like, even though, you know, the new one definitely makes sense for the character, the armor plating. I just like the kind of old tights look that you have, uh, with this take on the character. Although with the amount of, uh, punishment he undergoes, you would understand why he'd want body armor and not just tights on his, on his body. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll break down and go through this series. I mean, for those who haven't really read it. Uh, again, I, this came out late 2002, so I would have been about 19 years old. Um, wait, that can't be right. 2002? No, I guess that's right. I guess I would have been in, oh God, university. I just started university, and I think I was, I was picking this up um, at my local comic book shop in the town I was going to university in. And I remember, again, it being a big deal that this was coming out. I mean, I hadn't really read any any ongoing DC stuff in quite some time. I had dabbled here and there. Um, at the time, my, uh, kind of this, this guy who had an adjoining room to mine, uh, in university, actually, he's been on the podcast, I think once before, uh, maybe in the first 20, 30 episodes, his name was Ben Riley. ironically enough, the name of Spider-Man. Um, he was a DC fan and it was actually thanks to him that I started broadening my horizons and getting more into DC comics, reading more of the backlog, um, I mean, now I, I think I've read a lot of DC comics over the years now. But, I mean, really, my real ascent or descent into DC didn't start till maybe 12 years ago. And then eventually going back and reading, like, the entire Wally West run of The Flash, um, other sort of things, reading a lot of, you know, Batman from here and there. Although there's still a lot of Batman I haven't read and would like to at some point. Um, so I hadn't really touched on a lot of DC. I think maybe I'd read Crisis and Infinite Earths, or at least I knew of it. I'd read Batman Nightfall back in, what, 93? I think, 92, 93. I'd read that, although I hadn't read Night's End and Night's Quest at that point. I'd read Death and Return of Superman. I hadn't read Watchmen until Ben Riley actually gave it to me to read. I hadn't read V for Vendetta, um, a bunch of other kind of DC properties. I'd read some of the Kyle Rayner uh, Green Lantern stuff, but not a lot of it. I had read a little bit of Hal Jordan, um, but that obviously would... I was much younger before he died. I was probably, what, 11 when he died? Um, so again, I didn't have a huge exposure to the DC universe. I'd read some of Batman Cataclysm, uh, not a lot of, uh, No Man's Land because it was so big and sprawling, but I kind of knew the, the general idea. So I knew some of the stuff that was going on at DC. So this was a nice entry point for me because I kind of knew the characters, but not that well. And, uh, just reading that first issue too, I mean, the artwork's great. You don't even see a full shot of Batman right away. Um, you have like these kind of great sequences where you see... 
you know, Batman's, I guess, the what you can see on his lenses, which they've never really gone back to um, in terms of what he can see in, on his goggles as he's trying to save this young child. We don't actually see Batman for, what, maybe page six or something? Um, it's actually quite a while before we finally see him in his full glory. And it's such a great Jim Lee shot. And the first issue is very simplistic. It's him going up against a mutated version of Killer Croc, um, who's trying to get a ransom for stealing, or sorry, stealing for kidnapping a child. Um, Batman is quite the, the fight against Croc. Um, we see, you know, again, Batman kind of being the lone wolf, coming across uh, Catwoman, who's trying to steal the money that Killer Croc was after herself. Um, excellent sequences here. I mean, it, it can be said that Batman. Um, Jim Lee is not the greatest storyteller. Uh, he has great artwork. It's beautiful artwork, but doesn't always do a great job of actually indicating the storytelling itself. That being said, this is some of the strongest kind of panel work, I would say. Um, the shot of, you know, Batman uh, chasing Catwoman. And I've always loved where they do the kind of the, um, the faded silhouettes to indicate that someone's moving really quickly and doing like gymnastics or stuff. Uh, they used to do this a lot in the mid-90s with Spider-Man. And I remember just absolutely falling in love with it. Uh, especially when Mark Bagley did it and uh, Joe Bennett. Those are two of my favorite artists at the time who really did a good job of showing all the different movement. must be a pain in the ass to have to do. I mean, here it's just kind of a light outline of the character, but when they used to do it with Spider-Man, it was that you would actually get more of the character's details being uh, portrayed in the artwork as he's kind of flipping around doing all his you know, spider moves, which is really, really cool. And again, the whole sequence goes on maybe a little longer than it needs to. And then we have... Um, the bat rope getting cut, which is a, a big incident that happens. We have a, a few pages of Batman falling, which, again, I feel like Batman would have more tricks up his sleeve than just the one bat rope. And I feel like we've seen that in, you know, Scott Snyder's run. He's a little bit more resourceful, whereas here he's just kind of falling, hits a gargoyle, dislocates, uh, sorry, breaks his shoulder, keeps falling, uh, and ends up pretty beaten and kind of dropping into hell, so to speak, or crime alley. And then we have Catwoman uh, bringing the money that she's stolen from Killer Croc to uh, Poison Ivy. Um, which, again, at the time, I didn't know much about Poison Ivy. I'd seen her in that terrible Batman and Robin movie. Uh, but other than that, I'd known of her from the TV series. I hadn't seen a lot of her. I hadn't really read her appearances in Batman No Man's Land yet. So this was, again... And I also, at the time, did not know a lot about Catwoman. And that I didn't recognize this costume very much. Because, obviously, this costume was... Um, Oh, was it uh, oh, Darwin Cook who I think who uh, developed the costume? So, which is much more modern than her classic kind of, um, you know, more um, cat-like I guess costume with the tail and everything. But this was the more modern look with the goggles. Uh, that's the first issue. Second issue begins with you know Batman about to be roughed up by some guys in the alley. Uh, they try to kind of unmask him, and then the mask is able to have kind of its own defensive measures, uh, which is kind of cool. And again, kind of borrows something from the 1989 uh, Michael Keaton movie uh, in that, you know, it he's got body armor, he's got kind of things on him that protect him. Uh, I think even in, even in what, uh, The Dark Knight, wasn't there some sort of protection that kind of shocked someone? Uh, shocked one of the Joker's goons when they tried to unmask him or tried to mess with Batman. So I kind of like that they had that. Uh, Huntress shows up here, and again, my only kind of uh, knowledge of the character was a brief kind of appearance, I think, during Nightfall. And then I'd read a little bit of the character during uh, Batman Cataclysm. Um, yeah. Uh, 
No, I just, I just realized, why am I doing this as a comic talk spotlight? This is kind of a flashback in the way that I'm doing it. So I might end up branding this episode as a flashback and uh, just ignore what I said about the comic talk spotlight. Um, we've, again, some great stuff with, uh, with Huntress. Uh, and although, again, her costume looks ridiculous the way that Jim Lee draws her, just doing these amazing moves, but like with the most ridiculous short shorts, if they can even be called that. Uh, she is able to rescue Batman, put him in the car. Uh, Oracle is obviously directing Huntress. This is kind of early Birds of Prey era, more or less. Again, some needless ass shots of uh, Huntress as she goes on her bike. And this is where we get kind of the first sense that there's some sort of mysterious villain with all these bandages on his face who would become to be known as Hush. Um, we have Batman very brutalized by his injuries, and so... Um, Batman's only able to communicate via Morse code with his fingers, and they end up going to get this uh, renowned surgeon named Dr. Tommy Elliot, or Thomas Elliot, uh, to come in and save uh, Bruce, and we get a flashback to their uh, original um, kind of uh, friendship back when they were kids, and what I really like about this, and the way that is um, illustrated by Jim Lee, is he does a completely different style, it's almost like a watercolor style, uh, it's very unique, it's still his art, but it's got a very kind of cool uh, nostalgic tone to it which I think was a nice experimentation for his art and then uh, Tommy Ellis able to save um, Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne's out of danger and we know that this uh, this villain um, is, is, is still plotting um, again kind of makes me wonder the storyline in here is kind of flimsy because a lot of things happen and doesn't most of it need to happen and it's kind of a weird labyrinth of a, of a plot that feels very unnecessary at times again looking at it again reading it over and going through it again it's easier to see kind of those kind of gaps but when you're reading it for the first time especially you know I was again 19 years old this was much more exciting at the time <laughs> um, and then the third chapter we've got you know Croc in jail uh, trying to escape Batman kind of fighting against him uh, and letting, letting Croc escape uh, Amanda Waller makes an appearance. Uh, I get more flashbacks to uh, Bruce and Tommy's um, uh, past together. We have the uh, Batmobile getting its uh, tire blown out, um, which is, again, yet another bad thing happening to Batman. Uh, Batman going up against uh, Killer Croc and then finding uh, Catwoman there and trying to figure out what's going on there. Uh, and then we kind of lead into the romantic tension that would permeate the rest of the series as Batman finally kind of makes out with Catwoman. I kind of liked how it was done here when it first happened. Again, it was playing up on the sexual tension that it, I guess kind of been there for a while. Um, it was only at the time kind of confined to this particular series, but it's interesting to see how it was developed and how it would preoccupy Batman throughout the storyline. And people like Batman and Catwoman together. There's just something about that pairing and the fact that she's, you know, you know, always kind of skirting the line. I mean, it's the same as Spider-Man and Black Cat. Although, I would say the Black Cat's a lot more heroic than Catwoman is, generally. Although, again, during this period, she was a lot better of a character. Especially after No Man's Land. Um, we have Bruce Wayne going to Metropolis. Again, some great flashbacks uh, featuring the old Alan Scott version of uh, Green Lantern. Who it's nice to see in his traditional costume, now that he doesn't exist in the uh, mainstream DCU. Uh, seeing him fight the Icicle. More uh, Bruce Wayne and Tommy Elliot uh, uh, discussions in the current continuity as they're uh, they're uh, hunting after um, Poison Ivy. Also, very much of the of the time, Bruce Wayne was a co-owner of the Daily Planet, so he's technically Lois and Clark's boss. 
uh, Lois and Clark were still married. Um, at the time, again, uh, you had um, Lex Luthor was the president, so you had Talia al Ghul was running LexCorp. Again, so so early 2000s. Um, there's some great stuff here with like Batman jumping onto a train to team like you know to kind of discuss plans with Catwoman. The fact that Catwoman wants to you know kind of hunt down uh, Poison Ivy for herself because of uh, Poison Ivy controlling Catwoman in the first chapter, and then uh, Superman shows up and is then mind controlled by Poison Ivy, which leads into a fantastic fight in Batman 612, where we have a mind controlled slower, duller Superman going up against Batman. It's an awesome sequence. Uh, the whole issue is a fantastic example of what happens when Batman needs to go up against Superman um, using, you know, the kryptonite ring, um, you know, going through lead-based tunnels that LexCorp has built under Metropolis. That's very, very cool stuff. Um, the way that they're able to kind of break the mind control by threatening Lois's life. Very cool. Even Crypto gets a nice appearance here. Um, there's some shots of um, Jim Lee doing, like, kind of a Superman and uh, and Batman kind of standing on, on rooftops together, which is, again, very iconic looking. Although I would say his Superman is not as nuanced here as he would become later, uh, especially during the, the illustration of uh, For Tomorrow but that uh, Jim Lee did with Brian Nazarello. Uh, and then later on, although it's a different version of the costume, but eventually in uh, Justice League as well. Uh, then you have issue 613, so you're continuing the, uh, the whole story where... Uh, Bruce and Selina are at, I guess, the opera, and then uh, out comes uh, Harley Quinn, uh, looking great, as uh, illustrated by uh, Jim Lee. Again, more flashbacks towards Tommy Elliott's history with Bruce Wayne. Uh, Batman going up against uh, Harley Quinn with some assistance from uh, from uh, Catwoman. Uh, Tommy Elliott kind of assists as well, and at the very end, it looks like Tommy Elliott is shot dead by the Joker, although it looks like maybe there's more here than seems to be going on. Um, and we have a great flashback sequence in the next issue where it still has that kind of weird flashback tone, but now it's all red because it's emphasizing the violence of, um, of the Joker killing Sarah Essen, who was the wife of James Gordon, um, paralyzing, um, Barbara Gordon, and then also killing, um, what's his name? Jason Todd, and now presumably killing, um, <coughs> Tommy Elliott as well. Uh, so it's more... Batman versus Joker and Harley Quinn again and then there's some flashbacks here so it's again that different color style and the colors and then the colors really pop because there's one shot of Barbara as Batgirl and it's beautiful colors so like it's just a great shot of her a smile the red hair uh, the color of the cowl and then the following chapter is like her and Batman swinging through where the colors muted and then the following page we have again the shot of the Joker um, the Joker shooting ba uh, Barbara it's all red, and then there's a gorgeous shot just below it of uh, Barbara Gordon looking reflective as Oracle sitting in her clock tower, and it's probably one of the most gorgeous shots of Barbara I've ever seen. Um, and then Catwoman stops Batman from killing the Joker, even though uh, Batman's kind of confronted with the memories of Jason Todd dying and what it means and all this death, and uh, he lets Joker almost go and he kind of definitely beats him up and uh, Gordon has to kind of talk him down off the ledge even though Gordon wishes he was dead uh, and then we know that Hush is still around and then this is a nice bit of misdirection he's flipping a coin and uh, it looks like it's Harvey Dent because he's flipping a coin with an X on it which is kind of Harvey Dent's signature issue 615 we've got uh, Batman and Nightwing on the cover as Tommy Elliot is supposedly put to rust and uh, everyone's kind of trying to help Batman uh, deal with it. 
Uh, the first time that Dick Grayson actually shows up in the series as Nightwing. Um, I love seeing them together um, as they go up against the, the Riddler. Um, and at the end of the issue, we have Batman revealing his identity to Catwoman, which is something that uh, I actually really liked as a development. And you might hear my cats fighting in the background, so sorry about that. You also have Harvey Dent showing up to take off these bandages and reveal that uh, he is, he's been healed. And so the idea here is that he was the hush that we saw, but that is not really the case. Um, again, the plot is almost not important. It's more about this kind of fun adventure with the deepening of the Bruce-Selena uh, relationship, as well as having all these different villains, having the partnerships between Batman and Oracle and Huntress. And although I think Tim Drake doesn't even show up till later. Nightwing is here. Uh, issue 616, or 616, we have um, the uh, appearance of Batman going up against, um, well, he saves Talia al Ghul, first of all, and uh, then he goes up against uh, Ra's al Ghul, which, again, is very much the playing the greatest hits. Uh, you have uh, Talia and uh, Cat Catwoman have a nice kind of interaction together, and then Lady Shiva shows up, and she looks very different than I remember her looking ever, uh, and she takes out Catwoman and rescues Tal Talia al Ghul, although then Talia then just kind of rescues herself. Um, and uh, you also have Talia kind of saying goodbye to Batman. I, I always loved their interactions, and I didn't know much about the characters at the time, but it was very cool. And then... Uh, Moving forward, we have a, a kind of an interlude that was originally in Wizard, and then we have Batman 617, which starts to be the idea that there's a little bit more going on here than we realized, uh, in terms of, uh, you have Catwoman going up against Huntress, which is cool, uh, you have Jason, uh, sorry, uh, Tim Drake finally making an appearance here, uh, we think that we see the, uh, Hush revealed as being a darker version of Jason Todd, with inexplicably looking much older than he should, with like white hair, which doesn't make any sense, but kind of a cool modern version of what his costume would have looked like, uh, as he's got uh, Tim Drake kind of in his clutches. Issue 618, uh, we continue that kind of idea that Batman's dealing with fighting against this Jason Todd, uh, who's angry that he let him die, um, and kind of seeing their fight, and as well as... Now, it's interesting because... It ends up being revealed that this isn't really Jason Todd, but it's Clayface, but then they're then retroactively retconning that, and this is so stupid, but this is classic comics, is that briefly, this was really Jason Todd, and then he switched himself out, and then uh, Clayface took over his spot as acting as Jason Todd. None of that makes sense, but it was just because the idea of Jason Todd coming back from the dead was a popular one, and they really liked the idea, and the fandom really reacted to it, so they wanted it to be real. So eventually they would bring him back from the dead and explain it as being a Superboy punch against an invisible you know, time wall in, in space. And then finally you have uh, Hush confronting Batman in issue 619. This is where we uh, eventually we have it revealed that it is uh, Tommy Elliot. Tommy Elliot wasn't actually dead, but... Uh, Two-Face helps to kind of uh, stop Tommy Elliot. Uh, we learn more about the fact that Batman has kind of a device that's been implanted in his head, so Superman melts it out. We also learn that uh, the Riddler is behind a lot of this because he, he's figured out who Batman really is, um, which was a cool idea, although it ended up wouldn't, la wouldn't last very long. And then at the end, we have Batman and uh, Catwoman, and then she says, hush at one point, uh, just because telling him to be quiet, but he's so paranoid that he ends up kind of driving her away, which ends the story. Um, so as you can tell, the fact that I could go through 12 issues in 23 minutes 
uh, means that there's actually not a lot of actual story here. Um, a lot of it's just style, but the style is damn good. And so, in terms of a, kind of a, a an entry point into Batman, it's a good entry point because you kind of get to see most of his world. That being said, half that world doesn't really exist anymore, but that's kind of besides the point. Uh, you get introduced to a lot of the main characters in Batman's world, what Batman's world is like. Uh, there were some kind of forward developments with Catwoman. Uh, the Hush character is poorly developed, not well developed at all, even though you get a lot of flashbacks to Tommy Elliot. He's not really a great character, although later writers would flush him out more and add more depth to him, but as of this point, he didn't really have a lot of depth. Um, but again, the, the the main draw here is not really the writing by Jeff Loeb. It's it's really the artwork by Jim Lee. I mean, it's uh, this is kind of like watching a blockbuster movie that isn't trying to make you think. It's trying to dazzle you with its visuals, and it absolutely succeeds on that measure. The script isn't awful. It's just a little empty. Um Again, it's 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 serving the the what Jim Lee would like to draw. It kind of in in, in a lot of ways it's similar to what Jeff Loeb would end up doing on Hulk in terms of uh, Hulk was just kind of a big beat 'em up uh, tailored to his artist. He had Ed McGinnis, who's got big beautiful artwork, really does great you know kind of over the top action. So he gave him that in Spades uh, to illustrate. So maybe it's it, that's part of what it is. Um, there's obviously a lot of similar some similarities to Long Halloween and Dark Victory. I mean, they're both Jeff Loeb, you know, magnum opuses in terms of, like, there being a year-long storyline. I would say both those are better, and they're better mysteries. This one isn't necessarily a great mystery because we don't really get a lot of clues towards what's really going on. I mean, you can you can kind of figure out that it has to be Tommy Elliot, and the misdirection of his quote-unquote death um, must just be that misdirection. Um but because when you bring in a brand new character and you give them all this backstory and then you kill them off in the middle, yeah, they're probably not dead. Uh, they're probably the real villain. There's some, again, nice misdirection with maybe it's Two-Face. I remember reading that at the time being like, oh, is it Two-Face? Like, I didn't know any better. Um, but is it a great mystery in terms of could you have solved it on your own? No. There's pieces that we're not given at all uh, and would not be able to figure out on our own uh, based on the clues that were given. In fact, a lot of the clues indicate that it is uh, Jason Todd, and which I guess the retroactive, you know, retconning makes more sense because the idea that the bat rope was cut with a with a batarang, that's a Jason Todd thing to do, and the fact that the um, the tire that's blown out on the Batmobile is the same one that Jason Todd was caught stealing in his retconned uh, origin. Again, it, it makes sense that it would be Jason Todd and not Hush at all. Um, so it's kind of an interesting series of events there. Uh, and the fact that why would... I, I, I don't even remember the explanation for why Jason Todd would even be part of this. Uh, because, I mean, it makes more sense when it's Clayface. But if it's actually Jason Todd, why the hell is he even participating in this at all? Uh, it's just kind of a weird a weird thing. Um, if, if you try to look at the logic of it, it falls apart. But again, if you want to see awesome Razzle Ghoul fights and, you know, um, you know, the Joker and Harley Quinn and... Killer Croc, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, all these characters who want to see some Batman versus Superman, you get all of that in the storyline, so it's hard not to like that. If you want a really good Batman mystery, there's a lot of other good detective comics. In fact, I think a lot of Paul Dini's run on detective comics was really worth reading because he felt like a detective, and a lot of them were kind of standalones too, which was nice. Uh, and I feel like you get more in terms of that part of Batman. If you're looking for the world's greatest detective, you're not really going to find it in this particular series. Um... But you are going to see Batman the Adventurer and Batman, not even Batman the Dark Knight, because you don't see a lot of him just kind of doing street level things. You see a lot more of him being more of a superhero. 
that being said, there's nothing wrong with that because it's extremely entertaining. And um, it's kind of a, again, it's not going to make you think very hard, but it's going to make you really appreciate the art. And uh, the story breezes along. It's Again, it's not bad. It's just, it's if you're reading it for the story, then you might want to read another Batman storyline that has a stronger story element. Anyways, thank you for listening to this episode. This has been episode 214. Um, you know, our look at Batman Hush. Uh, thanks for joining us. You can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate or review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and post in our HC Realms thread as well. Uh, our next episode, well, our non reviews episode next will likely be our Big Hero 6 episode, although that's not quite confirmed because there's still a chance that could end up not happening. Uh, after that, I'm either going to be having a, an on location episode where that I'm going to be, uh, let me think oh sorry the next episode after that so 218 will probably be an episode focusing on a flashback on operation zero tolerance which is one of my i don't know why but i really like that x-men storyline from the 90s and then after that episode 220 will probably be my on location uh, episode from cuba um so thank you for joining us for this episode make sure to catch those episodes and we will catch in that later uh at some point we're going to have a new uh, talking hero clicks episode as well not sure when that'll actually end up dropping though so thanks for joining me and we'll catch you next time Bye bye